0: And we're continuing our series today in the Song of Songs. So do turn back there if you have a Bible with you or if you've got it on your um, phone. And let me begin by asking, I wonder what you made of that reading. Um, Perhaps you're quite happy that actually we still have to wear masks because it spares your blushes somewhat. Um, Here we are right at the heart of this book of the Bible, the Song of Songs, there are 111 lines of Hebrew poetry before chapter 4, verse 16. And there are exactly 111 lines of Hebrew poetry after chapter 5, verse 1. So chapter 4, verse 16, to chapter 5, verse 1, is the very heart and center of the book. And what is it all about? As the man declares, I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. Here we have the most sexually explicit, physical, erotic part of the entire book. Now, if you're someone here looking into Christian things, it's great to have you here. Perhaps this is your first time at church. You're thinking, my goodness, I wasn't expecting to hear a sermon on this. Are you telling me that there's a whole book of the Bible which is focused on sex? Yes, there is. God invented it. He has plenty to say about it. This is what this book is about, how to enjoy it, his good design for it. Look, and so regulars here, there's nothing for us to be embarrassed about. This is adult content, but it's not X-rated. The language here is candid, but it's not crude. Now, unfortunately, the church has often felt embarrassed about it, Jewish Rabbis warning young men not to read the Song of Songs until age 30. Christian preacher Adam Clark counselling young preachers to avoid preaching on it. Certain Christian theologians performing all sorts of inter- interpretive gymnastics. So that take verse 5, for example, your breasts are like two fawns, gets interpreted as only meaning the two testaments of the Bible, full and equally matched. And so, you know, you're smirking a little bit at it, that people would go to these lengths to avoid just the plain, literal meaning of the text. Here's a married couple, they're naked, they're unashamed, they're enjoying sex. Not that this is some divine sex manual. Now, how to have the best sex ever. If prudishness is one danger, when we come to this passage, over is another danger. We live in a culture now where if you were to type boy or girl into Google, even on the safest of search settings, you can't guarantee that actually what comes up is safe. Sex is everywhere. Sex sells everything. Nothing is left to the imagination anymore. And so sex ends up demeaned. It's lost its sacredness. You know, the, the fig leaf has fallen and no one gasps anymore. But what we're going to see today is the very meaning of sex and why God gifted it to humanity. And how the beauty of sexual intimacy that we see here between husband and wife in marriage was always a pointer to two and a foreshadowing of the beauty of Christ and his intimate love for his church. So that's the way we're going. Um, three things for us to see. We're going to see a celebration of beauty, a celebration of sex, and then a celebration of Christ and the church. So, first, in verses 1 to 7. A celebration of beauty, as the man tells his wife here just how beautiful she is to him. Verse 1, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes behind your veil are doves, your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them is Alone. Now, I have to admit that I've been trying out some of these phrases in um, the Song of Songs with my wife Joe. you know, earlier on in the series. Here's your gazelle bounding up the stairs to the bedroom, gonna try and woo my dove out of the clefts of the rock. It got a little bit of humorous interaction from Joe When I tried this line with the sheep and the gate, she was like, What on earth are you talking about, Mark? You Nothing's know a little bit weird? How the man's describing her as a sheep and goats, and aren't they a little bit dirty, and the rest of it. We need to remember that this woman here is a farm girl, that this is an agricultural society, that this man and woman are quite used to calling each other with animal names and descriptions, and actually, rightly understood, it is wholly positive. Your eyes, which are a window to your soul, are like doves. Doves, Jesus says, be as innocent as doves. There's a beautiful intimacy to this woman in her eyes, her soul, her hair, like full and flowing. Like a flock of goats descending on a mountain. You've ever seen that in the Lake District? That is the image here. Your teeth. This is about um, being smooth and uh, sparkling and symmetrical. That's what a sheep shorn and washed and having a twin is, right? They all match. This is before modern dentistry. This is a perfect smile. And he continues, he's going down from head to breast here, doesn't stop. Verse 3, your lips are like a scarlet ribbon, your mouth is lovely, which refers to the words that come out her mouth, an inner beauty, as well as an external beauty, her speech matches her beauty. Your temples are more likely cheeks behind your veil, are like the halves of a pomegranate, blush red full of life and vitality, like all the little seeds that you get inside a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. There's a, there's a strength, there's, a, there's an elegance, there's a dignity about her. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a, of a gazelle. Fawns, shy animals, don't see them very much, don't often come out to play. But here she now stands and naked before him, a veil over her, perhaps the wedding night, perhaps the first time that he's gazed upon his wife in the fullness of her beauty. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you now of course this woman does have flaws she herself has said as much back in chapter one verse six that she had to be out in the sun not being able to care for her vineyard she described herself if you remember in chapter two verse one as a, a common ordinary flower but she is not ordinary to this man her husband who thinks she's extraordinary beauty's in the eye of the beholder and he's captivated by her doesn't care about any spots, imperfections or rogue hairs to him she is altogether beautiful and did you notice, did you count how many body parts there were there there are seven eyes, hair, teeth, lips, temples, neck and breasts, seven the symbol of perfection there is no flaw in you do you remember when Adam first lay eyes on Eve in the garden of Eden and it's literally this feeling of like wow This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and that is the strength of feeling here. To him, she is the definition of a beautiful woman. The woman he is going to spend the rest of his life with as they grow closer and closer together. So, a celebration of beauty. Now, the application here should be obvious, but let me state it anyway. Um, If you're a husband here, celebrate your wife's beauty. Did you hear that, husbands? Celebrate your wife's beauty. We're going to get, in the next section, the wife describing her husband, so there'll be stuff for her, but the focus here is on you telling her how gorgeous she is, doing it regularly. You might not want to use these agricultural metaphors. I tried it out, it doesn't work that well. You know what to say. You know what first caught your attention, When it comes to your wife, your skin is so soft and smooth, you have the prettiest eyes, your lips are so luscious, you look amazing in that dress. I love that part of you. Celebrate her God-given beauty. And husbands, can I recommend that you make your wife the definition of a beautiful woman? Her shape, her size, and do not Focus on the flaws. Women have enough trouble as it is with all the airbrushed, photoshopped, unreal images of what the current cultural definition of beauty is without you adding to the burden. Who is the definition of a beautiful woman? Your wife. No one else. So focus on her, her God-given beauty. And if there are any husbands here who are wondering why there's not much sexual intimacy in their marriage right now, you might want to start here celebrator well if that's a celebration of beauty secondly in chapter 4 verse 8 to 5 verse 1 we get a celebration of sex as the man invites the wife to consummate their marriage in verses 8 to 15 come with me my bride come with me and then the woman invites her husband in verse 16 to come and blow on my garden and let my beloved come into his garden And then in chapter 5, verse 1, he does so, I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride, and then right at the end we get this celebration of their marital love, eat friends and drink, drink your fill of love. Now, I want us to notice in this section the unbreakable link between sex and marriage and why this is so important. Did you know, out of the whole Song of Songs, there are only six places where the man describes the woman as his bride? Do you know where those six places are? They are all here in this one section. Verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, verse 9, verse... No, verse 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and chapter 5, verse 1. And what did I say at the start? The one section in the book where we are left to no doubt what is going on between them. Why is it here that it's made absolutely sure that they are married, that this is his bride? Because sex and marriage always go together in God's eyes. Now, that, that may sound ridiculous to modern ears, where sex and marriage have become radically separated today. But I wonder if that's because we've lost something of the the sacredness of sex and the the deep meaning that God gives to it and the way sex binds two people together in what the Bible calls a one flesh union. Just listen to the man's words again in chapter 5 verse 1 and notice like metaphorically what is happening to him and his bride. I have come into my garden My sister, my bride. That might be weird, my sister. Why is he describing his bride as his sister? It's just—it's a term of intimacy, family union. It's the closest relationship you can have with a member of the other sex, if you're a bloke, outside of marriage. I've come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. Now, can you pick up what is going on here? We have the man entering the woman, entering her as a garden. He becomes a part of her. But then metaphorically speaking, the man symbolically also eats her up (laughs) and drinks her in. And so she now becomes a part of him. Do you see this sort of mutual indwelling? Him in her, her in him. And nine times in this one verse you get the possessive pronoun, my, which in the Hebrew is not a separate word, it's a suffix. And so it fixes itself to the word it is describing. And that is exactly what is happening to the man and woman here. Through sexual intercourse and this one flesh union, they get attached and they get fixed to one another in this permanent way. Not just physically, emotionally, spiritually as well. There's this profound deep union and it might be hard for us to fully get our heads around it but that is why God has always intended and put sex and marriage together it's about two people man and woman becoming one flesh a lifelong connection which requires a lifelong commitment to each other and that is why a breakup of any sexual relationship can be one of the most painful experiences of all. And so let's keep sex and marriage together as God always intended for our good. Now you might say, Mark, my goodness, you're just being so naive. Do you not know where we are? We're in London, in the city. like We're like 21st century do you know how hard this would be to hit, how hard this is to, to put into practice, to keep? Where teenagers are being encouraged to start having sex at age 16, where children as young as seven are now being exposed to pornography. How the concept of chastity and waiting until marriage is just ridiculed today. That to be sexually inexperienced is to be an object of pity, there's just this assumption there, there's something wrong with you. Perhaps you feel that. If that is you, just look at how the woman is described in verses 12 to 15. The beauty of these metaphors to give you encouragement and reassurance that this is the way to live It's like the Garden of Eden all over again. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. This is not him complaining about her inaccessibility to him. We know what's about to happen. This is him celebrating the fact that she has kept herself inaccessible to others, kept herself for him, her husband. And look at how she's described here. Alive, fertile, blossoming, pleasing to the eye. These choice fruits, these finer spices, the scents, the taste, radiating from her. Could there be a better metaphorical description for someone? There is absolutely nothing wrong with you if you are keeping your garden locked up and your spring enclosed for the one who truly loves you and is truly committed to you. Cultural voices might tell you to get in touch with yourself sexually, know what feels good, know what you like, experiment with your partner before marriage to see if you're sexually compatible. But doesn't that just turn your boyfriend into a sex toy? see, hear, taste, touch, smell how good a locked-up garden can be and the sheer delight, enjoyment and celebration of opening it up at the right time. So here then is the celebration of sex in the way God always intended it. Thirdly and finally, A celebration of Christ and the church. Now you say, Mark, there's no mention of Christ in these verses. There's no mention of the church in these verses. Where are you getting that from? Are you about to do some of these interpretive gymnastics that you warned us about at the start? I certainly hope not. But the reason why I gave us that New Testament reading from Ephesians chapter 5 was so that we could all see very clearly the biblical link between human marriage and Christ and the church. You don't have to turn there now. But Paul says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh, right? There's that image of the one flesh union. But notice what Paul says next. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about who? Adam and Eve? Husband and wife? I'm talking about Christ and the church, In other words, the one-flesh union experienced between husband and wife in marriage was always intended by God as a pointer to and foreshadowing of the greater one-flesh union between Christ and the church. And I suggest to you that our passage itself pushes us in that ultimate direction with the obvious allusions to the Garden of Eden, the woman described as a spring, a fountain of life flowing from her, a time when God walked with humanity In the cool of the day, the reference at the end here to milk and honey, God leading his people into the promised land, the book of Revelation, Jerusalem dressed as a bride, a river of of life flowing through it with all this choice fruit on either side. God dwelling with his people in a perfect relationship forever. And so you put all these connections, these allusions together, the obvious Ephesians 5 reference, and what do you get as wonderful as human marriage can be? As wonderful as it can be, there is only one marriage that can truly bring you into the promised land. There is only one marriage where the bride is truly without any flaw. Only one marriage which truly satisfies our deepest longing for intimacy and union with someone or something else. The only marriage which death does not destroy. And that is the marriage between Christ and the church. So, you may never hear those words from another human being. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. But if you are in Jesus Christ, then God is always saying that about you. Do you hear that? God is always saying that about you. He is rejoicing, He's singing these words to you. We saw it in Zephaniah 3. Whoever touches you, God says, touches the apple of my eye, Zechariah 2. Every hair on your head is numbered. That's how much I care for you. I knitted you together in your mother's womb, Psalm 139. Your teeth, your lips, I coloured your cheeks. I chose the length of your neck, the size of your breast, whether you are male or female. You are a work of my hands. How beautiful you are. Please don't think. That you are just a random collection of atoms amongst a teeming mass of humanity. You are a unique and beautiful creation in God's eyes. But you say, What about my flaws? What about my sin and my shame? What about all those times I've not loved my wife and celebrated her beauty like this? What about all those times I've not kept myself pure? How does God see me now? God sent his son to earth. Jesus Christ came, was born as a human being into this earth. Not just to become one of us in humanity and like us, but to be so deeply connected to us, such that through our faith in him and his spirit living in us, the perfect beauty of his life and death and resurrection would cleanse us from all our sin, wipe away all our flaws. And so God can really say of us, if we're trusting in him, you are altogether beautiful, there is no flaw in you. All that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you within the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And one day you will see him face to face and you truly will be perfectly beautiful as you enjoy a relationship with him and all his people for eternity in the new creation, the new heavens and earth. And so, I mean, you know how excited people get when they're in a new relationship, get engaged on their wedding day, or just the joy of many happy years of married life together. Because of that, that intimacy of connection, because there is someone who who knows you with all your flaws, but still says I love you and I'm committed to you and you can be open with them and vulnerable with them because you've got that security of the relationship and I want you to know that that's what it means to have Jesus Christ in your life. But it's better because he is the perfect bridegroom. A relationship with Jesus Christ is the the most intimate relationship of all a relationship where his love and grace is always overflowing towards you a relationship where his spirit is in you producing the choicest fruits of all the fruit of the spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness gentleness, faithfulness, self-control a relationship which death cannot destroy it's unbreakable a relationship which gives freedom from the past meaning in the present and hope for the future is this not the sort of relationship we all long for? A relationship that all the world's love songs sing about, pine after, but can't find. And here it is, right here for us, if only you would come to Jesus Christ. And if you have, this is already yours. So don't close yourself off from him. Open up your garden to him. Let him love you because his love is the the most transformative love of all. You can bring any flaw, vulnerability to him. He will never reject you. You can drink up the milk of his word. He will never lie to you. You can feed on him in your heart by faith. He always satisfies You can be sure of his loving gaze upon you. He's always there for you. You can hear his words of affirmation. You are altogether beautiful. You can call others into the garden of his love to taste and see that the Lord really is good. Let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for all that you have been teaching us from the Song of Songs, but perhaps deeper than that, all that we've been feeling from the Song of Songs as we've seen this man and woman, husband and and bride, their union, their sexual intimacy, but how this is only ever a pointer, a foreshadowing of the beauty of Christ, the true bridegroom, the one who has laid his life down for the church, who calls us into a relationship with him, the most intimate relationship of all. Please reassure us of those trees. help us to taste and see that the Lord Jesus really is good. And we ask it for his name's sake. Amen.